Hi, I'm your host, Tom DeSavia. Join me as I interview guests from music and entertainment from around the world about what they're up to right now. Stay tuned, because we're gone in 30 minutes. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the season two premiere of the Gone in 30 Minutes podcast, uh, which has been voted the most popular podcast in my immediate family. So we're so honored and I'm so excited and so thrilled to have Valerie June join us today. Hi, Valerie. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, look, I mean, normally I get off. So we start the show normally. I'm just going to ask you this and go right into something else. It's like, what are you doing right now? I'm sitting in a lotus position on a high yellow chair, wearing a heart shirt and just ready to speak with you. Excellent. Well, I just need to tell you because on this show quite a bit, um, the subject goes to art and the, I've always felt the main purpose of art, if it's a sculpture, if it's a book, if it's a film, if it's a play, if it's music, in its best case, in its most important role, it lets us escape our lives. It lets us find a way to just exit and leave. And your new record has done that for me tenfold. I just cannot tell you how much I love this record. This record has become my my soundtrack for the last couple of weeks. And it is called, I, I should, I'm doing a horrible job of hyping it. It's called The Moon and the Star, Prescription for Dreamers, which we'll get into that title later. And it is a spectacular record that has helped me escape just as I needed it most, just as I think a lot of people are entering a year of this life we've been living in. And it has been a beautiful diversion. And just congratulations off the top on making just one of my favorite records of the last couple of years. It's fantastic. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Nope. It really is. And the best part is when I started listening, this is supposed to be an interview with you, but we're going to go through my feelings first. That's okay. (laughs) I love it. The day I went to put it on, uh, I wasn't, I was in a bad mood. And I was like, okay, I got to listen to this record. Like, okay, I got to listen. And I just got lost in this little world you created. So I want to now dive into that little world you created a little bit if we could. Okay, sounds really? good. Right on. All right, so, well, now, when did you actually make this record? Was this made pre-COVID? It was. We finished it in January of 2020, so we were very surprised when the pandemic hit like anyone else. We thought right. we were going to put it out, but we decided to wait, and I think it's a good idea that we right. wait. <laughs> did it, I mean, when you were going through the, because um, I know it's hard for any writer to have have their baby and say, but you can't see it for six months, eight months. You had to sit on this for, for quite a while. Yes, that was very difficult. But some of the songs I've had to sit on for over a decade. So I'm used to being patient when it comes to art. I mean, I don't want to. As soon as I write a song, I want to get it out in the world and I want to share it with people. But it takes time. And so right. I wrote a whole record about the order of time. <laughs> Well, and did you, are some of the songs older in on this record or some of the songs from the past for you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Really? I just write songs when they come. And whenever they come, um, I put them in my books of songs and, you know, have clips of them recorded and stuff. And I just go through and pull what I feel like I want to share with the world at that particular time. So, Were you creating any kind of concept around this record? when you made it or did the songs dictate 
the story? Well, they dictated the story, but I wanted a kaleidoscopic record, which is why I wanted to work with Jack because I worked with my touring band to capture the band in the room, just demos of the songs. And when I met Jack, we took the songs and layered them and layered them. So I had what I was used to having, which was the comfort of my guys and everything playing the, the basic songs. But then we went into multi-dimensions with uh, Jack and we just like said, okay, if this song is going to be Stardust, then let's go ahead and go there. We're going to be in the constellations. And our goal is just multi-era, multi-universal, and just like anything iridescent. That's what our goal is. <laughs> if you say it's Jack Splash, you're referring to your co-producer on this record. How did you come together? Who's made some tremendous records to his life, but I love this collaboration you guys did. How, did. Had you known each other prior? Did you meet when you were just getting ready to make the record? It feels like you've known each other for 20 years. I know it does. He's a very old soul. And so I probably met him before at some point mm -hmm. on my journey throughout being. But uh, he um, was introduced to me by Matt Marshall, my A&R guy. Matt Marshall and I were talking and he was like, well, I want you to meet all of these producers. And I was like, OK. And I tell you, I got in the room with Jack. I had a cup of tea. We had afternoon tea. From what he was wearing on the first day to the conversation, to the discussions of poetry, of art, of music, all of it, fashion, I was like, I'm going to love working with him. Yes. <laughs> That's what we did. Is it usually that for you? Is it usually a love at first sight thing with the collaborator? No. No, 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 no. 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 But, you know, music and love kind of go hand in hand to me. So I have yeah. to keep my love under control when I'm making music. Right. I have to be like, wait a minute, don't fall in love, love. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be able to escape really quick if you can, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you go into making the record with all the songs? Were they all, did you know what the record was going to be? Or were you writing at the point when you all met? I knew what it was going to be. I had all the songs. Um, I had about 50 songs. Well, before that, I had about 100 songs. And I took the, them and made it into 50 and listened to those. And then I took those and I made it into, okay, I can only afford to go in with my guys and do demos of maybe like six or seven. So I did that. And then when I was working with Jack, I decided to pull a couple more. And the way that in working with him would help to determine which ones were going to be the ones is I just sent him the songs. If he responded to it and he was excited about working with it, then we worked with it. And if not, then we wouldn't work with it. Like he wanted to work with a song called Rain Dance that I've done, but I've never done it the way I hear it in my head with the production and everything. Um, so he wanted to do that. I have another song, Bittersweet M, that would have been great with him, but we just didn't have time to get to those songs, you know? You only have a snapshot of time when you're making a record. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's what, so you said something earlier, I'm gonna go back, you said when songs come to me, they just happen. What, do, do you, when you say, do you mean literally, like if you're just driving, does a song come to you or do you have to put yourself in the, a place to receive your muse or is it, Literally just wherever you may be. It's wherever I may be. 
But I think that is because I try to stay in a place where I'll receive the muse. Like I dance every day. Mm -hmm. I like do my walking meditations and I do like long baths. The bathtub is my office because I need to rejuvenate and keep my spirit lifted. And like doing things like that. I have fashion shows where I'm just like, I'm going to be in the living room, listening to records, turn the music up and throwing on outfits. That's what I'm doing for the next hour <laughs> and dancing, you know, and those things keep my, I guess, keep me open to receiving the songs. Right. And so sometimes even I'll dream and like why the bright stars glow was a song that came to me in a dream. And, um, and so I just have to like live a life in a way of uh, being open to creativity coming into my path, you know, whatever it is, just be like, okay, I'm just going to try. <laughs> have you found, because all our worlds have obviously changed in the last year, all our, you know, any sort of normalcy, any sort of routine that we had is gone. Has it shaken up? your 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 process at all it's been a quite a profound change in my life because i have gotten to where for the first time i do actually sit down with my instrument for four to six hours a day and i play my instruments i don't just get a song now and like make that the time where i'm playing the instruments because that's what i was doing before but with the pandemic i said okay i want to learn scales on the guitar i want to learn scales on the banjo i actually want to know more chords maybe i'll get jazzy one day who knows <laughs> um but using this time to just go deeper into my reading go deeper into my art and illustrations and also learning things on the instruments I might actually be a musician one day. <laughs> well, you are a multi-instrumentalist. Is that fair to give you that that yeah. adjective? I am, but I'm more a singer-songwriter because I can I can play, I can make a song like this because I the way I write with voices, I just hear them and they're layers and layers. Sure. And so I feel like I can play almost anything. Now, to be a master musician, at that instrument, that's one thing I'm not yet, but I want to be. <laughs> you want to master? Well, I got a lot of instruments I'd love to master, but one of the ones that I probably will never master in my lifetime is drums. But I'd love <laughs> to. Love to. <laughs> but I never had good rhythm. It was always like... <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back to little Valerie June? Okay. Well, where, how did music enter your life? Well, my father was a promoter of music. He mm -hmm. um, brought acts like Bobby Womack and Prince and different people to town. And our town is very small. So this is like at the beginning of the career of someone like Prince that he would bring him there. But I grew up around music, you know. him. This was in Memphis? Humboldt and Jackson, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, and um, and when I moved to Memphis, I decided to start teaching myself how to play instruments after my band broke up. So that's my first instrument has always been my voice. Always, I've just I first was taken to church and Church of Christ. You don't have instruments. You don't have a choir. Everyone just sings all together, and there are about five hundred people in the room. And when I was first young, we went to an all black church. So that means maybe like five white folks would be there and all 500 black people. 
And then when I got to be about 12 or 13, we moved across town. My parents were like, I'm not going to be driving all the way over there just because we're black. So we went to Church of Christ on the um, side of town where there were predominantly white people. So there was like 500 white people and we were the only black people. And, um, and so singing was different at the black church than the white church. Still no choir, still no music. It's just right. the natural voices of the white church are more like, and the black church is like, mm -hmm. and so I learned how to sing like, <laughs> just like squeaking out, you know. Would you get up and root for a specific church? Would you just get in a mood and beg it to take it away? I love it all. I love it all. <laughs> Wait, well, so, so was it in the church where you really started to go? Okay, this this connects with me somehow. It was because. It connected on so many levels, like the music having so stories and messages and um, themes for life, for virtuous lives and things of that sort. I loved that idea of music and also the voice being an instrument. There will be old people, young people, all kinds of people and some people that sing beautifully according to what the world standards are and some people that just don't sing at all or whatever. Mm. And when you hear all those voices, like I appreciate all the voices, the pleasant ones, the rough ones, the mm -hmm. old ones, the sweet, soft ones, all of them. And I love like voices. I don't look at voices and say, oh, that has to be, I only want to hear like a pristine Aretha or Beyonce voice. I want to hear a Karen Dalton. I want to hear a Billie Holiday. I want to hear Beyonce. I want to hear uh, Loretta Lynn. I want to hear Dolly Parton. I want to hear like all these voices. They make it important. And Tina Turner and all of them, all of them. Like it's all one big um at the end of the day. <laughs> when when did you realize that you like this might be your path? Was there a point that you remember that happening where you kind of went? think I could do this. Yeah. Or I think I have to do this, maybe. Yeah. I wanted to do it since I was born, but mm -hmm. I knew my voice was weird and that it was odd and that if I told anybody that I wanted to be a singer when I grew up, that they'd be like, well, let me hear you sing. And then I was singing and they'd be like, uh-uh, don't do it. So, <laughs> so I just kept it to myself. And I realized after moving to Memphis and performing at open mics and leaving these gigs with all of these tips in my tip jar that maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe I could get by singing. And so I started doing more and more and more of it. <laughs> Man, what, what was the first, what did you, what instrument did you pick up first? Um, the guitar, acoustic guitar was the first yeah. instrument. My grandfather gave it to me when I was, 15 and I didn't learn how to play it till my early 20s because I was a cheerleader and I like chasing those football players way too much to see <laughs> my guitar. <laughs> I did. It was a problem. So, I, you know, I told myself how to play after I got to Memphis and all of that was out of my system. And finally, I learned how to play. And are you still primarily a guitar player when you write? Or do you uh, write? Either guitar or banjo, mostly. Right. No, stay on this record I wrote on keys. Um, but most of the other ones, they all start, most of them, with voice. 
and I'll just hear a voice like you were saying, I'll be driving down the road and I'll hear a voice or I'll be taking a sleep and I'll dream and I'll hear something singing. And, and as I wake up, it's like still, and I try to keep it as I open my eyes. I try to keep it. And I repeat it again and again. And then try to get it on my phone or something. I'm like, I have I got to get this. Like bright stars glow when, I dreamed it. I was waking up and it was just like, why the bright stars glow? And I kept hearing it again and again, bright stars glow. And I was like, that's real. <laughs> Is that a radio? Is somebody playing the song on a radio? <laughs> do you have that thing when you're waking up like we all do, where you're not sure if you're in dream state or waking up and you're, try so you're trying to hold on to that note as long as you can until you're fully awake? Yeah, and so I know, like, what is that? Is that something someone's playing, the neighbors or something, or is it, like, in the dream? So, yeah, it's really fun. I like getting songs that way. I've only gotten, like, three or four of them in my lifetime that way, but I really like it. Right. Do, do they tend to come out when you write? Do the songs tend to finish right away, or do you tend to have a piece of a song that just tugs at you for years? or both? It's most definitely undefined as far as whether I'm going to get the whole song or just a piece of the song. Some of them I've never gotten the other piece. So I know that if I probably go co-write with someone, they probably have the other piece. Right. right. Um, and every time I go co-write, I always like take little seeds that I've been working on to help open the door with that other person. So we can find this world together. Um, but usually when I co-write, it's like, it's a different thing. It's a different brain and a different, it's not like the same as when I just get the song. Right. But right. It does feel the same is when myself and whoever else, when we're deep into the song and we're living in it and you can feel the song all around you. And it's just like, whoa, we're there, but I'm not there alone. I'm with this other person and it feels so good. And that's why sometimes I end up falling in love. And it's like, I got to be like, oops. <laughs> <laughs> that means you're doing it right. That's <laughs> oops, I messed up. So, um, but yeah, like I always ask other songwriters when I write with them, how do you get songs? Because other people get them different ways. Some people get them first on the instrument and they then they start to hear the voice or they like, I don't know. They just, there's so many ways of getting them. And so this is my particular way that I think is fun to get them. I get them in other ways if I'm putting myself in that place, but this is the way where they just come, you know? That's, the, that's how it's supposed to happen. Yeah. On your album's first single, you were visited by one of the greatest voices of all time. And I, I, I people may not have heard the record by the time there's Carla Thomas is on your record. <laughs> that, that's the question. Carla Thomas is on your record. Talk. Like, oh my God. I, she is the fairy godmother of the record, okay? Like, she holds it down. It's a dreamer's journey. So every record has to have a fairy godmother that's about dreams, right? And she is like, she says, only a fool tests the depths of the water with both feet. Well, she's kind of warning the dreamer, are you sure you want to follow that dream? 
And that's when we both dive in together and we do Call Me a Fool, where we're like, yep, we're sure. Go on and call us a fool. We don't care. We're going to do it. We're going to jump in there. And at the end is when her voice really comes out in singing. Her speaking voice does the African proverb, but her singing voice is just like the all the ahs at the end. That's her high soprano, beautiful, untouched with age voice. (laughs) Amazing. And like I said, and it's like you can feel... The, the the DNA, what Andrew called, that should be there for this record, but it's not a nostalgic tune. Was I mean, did you, I mean, did you know Carla just from around town? Well, no, I went to see her about three times over the 10 years that I lived there because she would pop up and play every once right. in a while, but not too often. And so I got in touch with Boo Mitchell, who runs um, his father's studio, Royal Studios in Memphis. Right. And he introduced my um, my music to Carla again. And he said, hey, would you like to work with this girl, Valerie June? And he booked it at his studio and got Carla in there. And we hung out from 10 a.m. till midnight, just chatting, having fun. We went to see bands. We had wine. It was like girlfriends, okay? (laughs) It was so good. It was so good. We had to plan just to go in at 10 a.m. We do the song and be out by midnight. I mean, by noon, but we went to midnight. So, yeah. And she told me stories about stacks, about her father, Rufus Thomas, about Otis Redding. I mean, to be in a room hearing someone who was in the same room with Otis singing, talking about his personality, the way he received songs, about everything. It was tremendous. I loved it. <laughs> we had William Bell on this show a, a, a couple of months ago, and it was just me like this going, yeah, he's not really just answered questions. But I like how earlier you said, well, every record needs a fairy godmother, but mine's Carla Thomas. Not bad. So the record's called The Moon and the Stars, Prescription for Dreamers. What what does that mean? That's an amazing title. What does that mean? Well the record. I believe that like every life, every person from the time we're little until we get older, we have dreams and they can be big dreams or they could be small dreams. Big dreams would be like the dream of Dr. King for humanity to be more one and whole. And uh, John Lennon had the same dream in his song, Imagine. And I myself am a dreamer. And when I looked at their dreams as a kid, I was aware of Dr. King and John Lennon. And as I looked at their dreams, I was like, why isn't that true yet? Why don't we live in that world that they describe, that they hope for? I mean, this was like 30, 50 years before I was born and it's still not true. We're still pushing for that. And so as I looked at that, I wanted to say to myself, well, what do I want to do in my life? I want to figure out the anatomy of a dream. What does it take to make a dream come true for myself? Because if I learn what it's like, for myself on my path, then I can know what it's like for us as humanity and why it's been so hard for us to make some of these changes that we need to make. And so along my path, I've needed things. I've needed like poems. I've needed art. I've needed Aretha's respect or Sam Cooke's a change is going to come. Those are my prescriptions as I go through my path and I'm like feeling weak or I'm feeling low or the heaviness of the world might have me down. 
Like I need to read a certain poem by Rumi or whatever it is. Those are my prescriptions that keep my energy in the place it needs to be to keep dreaming. Because I think that we, through dreaming and imagination, we create new worlds all the time. And we can create these beautiful worlds that are more one and holistic as the way of understanding and respecting each other as humans. So these are my little prescriptions in the way that I receive prescriptions from other artists. I'm giving these prescriptions to my followers. So they're just to uplift you and to give you courage to keep believing because society, as you get older, they start to say, no, we don't need your dream. That's not so important or that'll never be happen, happen or be true. People can't be loving and kind to each other. Are you serious? You want that? <laughs> so you got to just be like, uh, no, I'm going to keep dreaming. Well, we need we need dreams now more than ever. And as much as I say that, I after having spent a you know a close to a year of the sky is falling, you know, I'm just just not feeling like I was gonna dream again, not feeling like things are gonna be good. It's feeling like things are gonna be good again. It does. And, and the, thing, the thing that's pulled me through all of it has been has been art. As a, as a, as just a, a human, as just someone who who doesn't create like you do, someone who relies on someone like you to help me find those paths but i know you're really big into meditation and it's part of your being as someone and i'm answer, i'm asking for i think probably 90 percent of our viewers here or listeners or whatever they call them i've tried to meditate so many times in my life i've never done it professionally i've always been like i can figure it out because i need it because i'm a neurotic mess this is this is a disaster half the time i I can never stop the voices. I can never stop the heartbeat. I can never stop. So what is your like two minute meditation tip for, for us? What do you we don't do? stop it. You don't stop it. it. You watch it. You just watch it. You just like, like you looking at me right now. You just watch them, watch them as they move and just let them move. And I go by the 10 minute rule, like just 10 minutes, just do 10 minutes. Because I know what ends up happening for me is I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do two, 10 minutes. And I end up sitting there for like 20, 30, 40 minutes, just like gone. And another thing that I find really cool and helpful for meditation is walking meditation. Walking and doing your breath work and being mindful in each step, it can be very helpful for people who don't like to sit still. So walking meditation, you might look into it. <laughs> okay, I got. I've never heard about that. I'm thinking I'll just walk into a bus. So there's a way to stay sort of conscious. Are you trying to tell me, Valerie June? <laughs> oh no, I'm not. To... <laughs> walking meditation. Put on a blindfold. Just <laughs> trust in the force. Um, we're gonna whip through a couple of questions just because we. Because we're only thirty minutes, rather than end on a, a a a a long story, I like to end on a couple of questions, so we just find an easy way out. So one, I just love to know what is what is one record that the world should know about? Any record, any genre. Um, I think I really, really love. Which one do I want to say? It's so hard. It's so hard. I don't know. We'll just go with it last, Eddie James, because. The growl and call me a fool. I can honestly say that I was listening to tons of gospel music and her singing. Oh, 
anything because she's got a rasp and a growl to mm -hmm. it and it's just deep so at last who's your favorite singer do you have one can i ask that question i don't have a single favorite is no. there is there who's the person that kicked it off for you do you know was there someone as a kid that you went oh well i had this babysitter and her name was miss pilot and she was a black woman and she wrote country music songs and she had a green thumb and she took care of me all the time when my mom was busy working and she was singing to me and I think she planted a seed in me of wanting to sing. <laughs> well, we, well, thank you to her. We're, we're very big fans of hers. She's gone You're now though. She left years ago to go to the other side. So. Uh, well, bless her and thank her for, for us next time you talk to her. <laughs> Okay. Name name your weirdest instrument you play. Weirdest? Yeah. I can't. I don't want to say because it's a secret. I'm working on something very secretive for you. For me? For all of you. Oh, see? Yeah. All right. Then how about what's your favorite record store? Favorite record store? Carolina Records in Carolina. It's in Durham. They have a good record shop. I want a couple more recommendations from you and then we'll wrap up. What about a movie? What should we be watching? I like What Dreams May Come or The Matrix. I like all those kinds of movies. How about a book? You got book? A book oh, yeah. Autobiography of the Yogi, Yogananda. It's such a great book. You got to read it. Like Steve Jobs read it every year. Oh, my flower. That's Anyways. right. Last most of the show. I know. Some most <laughs> for the flow. <laughs> um, but yeah, he used to read it every year and give it to everybody he knows. But I love that book and I think it's so, I mean, it's everything. As I was reading it, I was like, yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Valerie, I can't believe it. We've reached the end of our thing. I've got to say thank you. Thank you for joining us. And seriously, thank you for this record. I say it sincerely. I live here alone with a dog. My <laughs> is through music. And luckily, I have a lot of them that I love and old friends that I can visit anytime. And it's great when you have a new friend that can help take you away and let you escape. And I really, I really thank you for this record. I can't wait for everyone I know to hear it. It's beautiful. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being here. Bye, everybody. Bye. This show was presented by Craft Recordings. Thanks for joining us for Gone in 30 Minutes, produced by Laura Saez. I'm your host, Tom. And we'll catch you next time.